Well, we sung right at the beginning of our service, I think what we've all been trying to do these last few years. Lord of all, of church and kingdom, in an age of change and doubt, keep us faithful to the gospel and help us work your purposes out. That really, at least for me, hit the mark. Jeffrey Jones, in thinking about our New Testament passage, says, going back to the basics is essential, especially in times of uncertainty and conflict. Going back to the basics. I realize that's sort of what I did. I don't know if it was instinctually or uh, desperately, uh, but you know this. Uh, in the first year of the pandemic, I went back and I read a lot of Kierkegaard, like more Kierkegaard than I've ever read in my life. Maybe more Kierkegaard than anyone should read. I don't know. I did discover that Kierkegaard could have used an editor in places. But I went back to Kierkegaard. It felt like I had to go back to a more substantive, basic level, at least for me, to try to figure out how to be a pastor. Um, I go back to Bonhoeffer, to Barth, to Calvin. Uh, if you've been wondering, I actually have read other thinkers. The fact that these sort of giants show up more frequently perhaps now in the last few years, at least in my thought that I put before all of us to think about, I think it's, I think it's because I'm at least trying to go back to basics. Jones continues, as Paul dealt with the conflict in Corinth, he found it necessary to remind them of where and how it all began. In today's church, this back to basics, or perhaps more appropriately forward to the basics, movement is also absolutely essential. We live in a time when the old ways of being and doing church no longer communicate the faith effectively. Especially to new generations. The old answers, frankly, do not work anymore. In fact, in many cases, the old questions are not even being asked anymore. Yet the basic message entrusted to the church from the beginning is never actually old. It's almost as if we can get past the structure, get past the technique, get past the culture that we often have confused with the message and get to the message. We discover something that's old and new at the very same time. Therefore, in this time, Jones says, it is essential to remind the community where it came from and what it believes and how it all began. And so Paul says, now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the good news that I proclaim to you, which you in turn received and which you also stand. And through which, Paul says, you 
are being saved. Not through which you were saved, not through which you are saved, but that you are in the process of being saved. The good news that has an effect of moving us forward, even and especially when we don't completely understand it, or worse, we think we understand it until we realize we don't, which is more often the case, isn't it? And Paul says, you are being saved if you hold firmly to the message, the basics I proclaim to you, unless you have come to believe in vain. What does that mean? Believe in vain. I think the Isaiah 6 passage is so absolutely important. Uh, It's visually important. It's a good reminder to us that probably if Gallup did a poll and they asked people who was the most successful king, if you polled all Israelites, they would say Solomon. If you read the Bible, Solomon was the worst king. It's an irony, isn't it? What did Solomon do that would have made him so popular? He put Israel on the map. He gave the temple swag. He built the temple. He built a magnificent... Actually, he didn't build it. He hired Hiram of Tyre to build it. Hiram of Tyre, who worshipped a different god, uh, Baal, if you've ever heard of Baal, What does Hiram of Tyre build? Essentially a Baalistic temple. But it was lavish. It would have made the casinos in Las Vegas blush. But Solomon accomplished it. He was a king of public works, sort of. He accomplished it by enslaving the Israelites. Not the tribe that he was from not the people who lived around him, but everyone else. And by taking power away from the tribal leaders and putting in his own lackeys to make sure that money flowed directly to the public works. It's an age-old story, isn't it? It's one of those reasons why, at least as Presbyterians, we tend to be a little suspicious around governmental projects. We recognize that oftentimes the will towards power moves us away the one who gave up power in order to save the world. But Solomon did that. And Solomon's temple was the heart of worship and politics and everything before Isaiah and after Isaiah. So Isaiah has this vision that we talk to with the kids today, which we look at and we sort of breathe a sigh of relief. Finally, you don't think that your God is contained in a building. 
This faith was getting embarrassing. And we forget that Isaiah and his disciples, maybe a group of 20 people, and then they had children and got some more disciples going. But it wasn't for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later that the vision of Isaiah actually took foot in the minds of Israelites. And they believed that their God glory filled the entire world and that only their God existed. In other words, after Isaiah's amazing vision, people preferred what? The bling. The structure. The impressiveness of faith as they have come to know it. When we say that we are reformed people, one of the things that we confess is that we are in process. We are in process, not in the liberal sense that we believe that we will keep on advancing in terms of our knowledge, education, and hopefully goodwill, although if that happens, we're really happy. But we confess that we are in process because we have a tendency to resist the marching ahead of God. We have a tendency, even of people who have heard the gospel, to prefer the things that we build like Solomon rather than following the directions of God's revelation. And so every single week we sit under Scripture in order to hear something outside of us to save us from ourselves. And to save us from ourselves, not only individually, but even collectively. It's one of the things that, at least to me, not growing up in the church, convinced me that I wanted to be part of this Presbyterian thing. Because it just seems to me that that is the best way to understand how God moves the church together and forward in history. It's a continual conversion. It's not a straight line. And the church moves forward at places where all of a sudden it can no longer look away. And it has sort of that Isianic response of repentance. Maybe even repentance out of fear. And yet at the same time, when it hears the voice of God, it says, send me. Here I am. I think the same thing was happening with the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul wanted to make it absolutely sure that the church at Corinth knew that Paul wasn't making this stuff up. In his drive to bring the church at Corinth back to the basics and to let go of the other stuff that sort of was the bling that was showing up in Corinth around the ministry of Jesus Christ, he wanted to make sure that it wasn't just his personal preference or his particular way of doing theology. He says, I handed on to you of first importance what I in turn had received. And what is it? that Christ died for our sins, 
in accordance to the scriptures. And what that means is that then, as we know, we've got to pay attention to all the scriptures to understand what that means. And that he was buried. That he really died. And that he was raised on the third day. That he's really alive. And that he appeared to a bunch of people. That is the very basics for Paul. Now, I suppose we could say it would take us a lifetime to unpack that. If that's what we're unpacking for our lifetime, we're probably on pretty good footing. But think about all of the other things that church becomes or can become that's not around that basic message. Maybe a lot of it's bling. Maybe it's power. Maybe it's control. Maybe it's culture. When Christ died for sins, this was unanticipated. There was no Jewish sacrifice for moral sin. Period. This is an absolutely new category. This is an Isaiah in the temple moment. When we make the mistake of saying, oh yeah, Jesus is fulfilling what the Jews believed only in a better way, it's like asking Hiram to come and build a place of worship. Why do we do that? There's something deep within us that wants to tame the gospel. There's something deep within us that wants us to domesticate the gospel, right? To put the gospel on Prozac. What is that in us? When we think about Jesus being this sort of great, strong, victorious um, example of leadership, we deny the fact that he died on a cross and was buried. And the way forward for God's changing, you know, the big words, redemption, reconciliation, sanctification of the world, is that path. It is through death and burial. It is not somehow by avoiding those things. And yet sometimes we have Hiram of Tyre come in and bring us something else, more bling. And at the same time, Sometimes the church makes this mistake, I think. We forget that Jesus was raised from the dead. And you're saying to me, no, we don't. Yes, we do. So what happens is we start thinking, this is our church. We start asking the question, what's going to happen here at Manitou Presbyterian Church if we don't get our act together, sometimes we say that. Or sometimes we think, aren't we a good-looking church? Or whatever we think. This is the church of Jesus Christ. I offer no real leadership in this church whatsoever as pastor. That's what we've been going over the last few weeks. 
We together are the body of Christ here gathered as Manitou Presbyterian Church. And as long as I've been here for 20 years, individual people come and go, don't they? But the ministry continues. And the ministry continues at its best as we in the church pay attention to the risen Christ who leads us. But sometimes we hire Hiram of Tyre to come in and help us get our act together as if it's all about us. Beware, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, our relation to God is not a religious relationship to the highest, most powerful, and best being imaginable. It's not. He says, that's not authentic religion or transcendence. But our relation to God is a new life in existence for others through participation in being in Jesus Christ. Although we meet in a building, a beautiful building, it's not about buildings. It's about all of us participating in the one who came to love the world, forgive the world, who died and who was raised and who leads this church, not so we can survive as a church, but so that we can be people for others. That's the church that Jesus Christ built. And so what that means is that whatever, however we're able to do that, ultimately it's really not about us, right? And so we understand by the grace of God, I am what I am. That's what Paul says. By the grace of God, we are what we are. And his grace towards us and towards Paul has not been in vain, has not been towards vanity. There's no Hiram of Tyre stuff. I felt sort of compelled to take this tact on this sermon because I want to prepare you when we have our annual meeting at the end of this month. I think it's going to be full of good news. I think we're going to feel really, really good about what this congregation has done and the strength that this congregation seems to be in as an institution coming through COVID. But I don't want us to confuse that with what we're talking about today. I want us to be thankful of what God has done, obviously, among us, so that we can be a church of Jesus Christ for others. Isn't that why... Jesus did this? Why Jesus even gives his body and his blood not to be worshipped? That's what I would have thought. I, literally, I would have thought that Jesus would have said, grab some of my body. Yeah, shroud of turn type thing. Put some of my blood on it. Build a temple around that. 
said, this is my body broken for you. Remember this. My church is for others. He said, this cup is the new covenant sealed in the shedding of my blood for you. Remember this. The church of Jesus Christ is for others. And the Apostle Paul told the Corinthians, as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim to the world that our Lord died. but lives again. 